So let's start with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, thank you so much that you are the God of peace and you are the God of communication. You are the God of unity. And that was your last prayer, Lord Jesus, recorded, is that you wanted us all to be in unity and to love each other like you have shown us an example of loving. Lord, loving is the best thing. I love loving. I don't like fighting. Lord, we need to know how to handle conflict because we don't always see the same things the same way. And we don't know sometimes how to have constructive, helpful communication that doesn't leave people offended or hurt or wounded. So I just pray, Father, that you would come, that your Holy Spirit would show up in a powerful way and that you would speak to each of our hearts individually and give us the tools we need to be effective in our communication and effectively hold up the truth in righteousness is my prayer. Thank you for coming, for being here, and for blessing us, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So maintaining healthy relationships in high-stress, high-risk situations. And I have to tell you, it might not bother me, but that's going to bother uh, this. I'm going to close this blind. These poor people having to edit. <laughs> Oh, well, there. I think that'll be a little easier. All right. So I actually took a course called Crucial Conversations. You can buy the book. It's very, very, very interesting. If you ever want to do some reading on this topic, Crucial Conversations by three people, two men and a woman. A woman. And I re regret that I can't rattle off their names off the top of my head. But you can go on, on um, Amazon and find that book. And there's CDs you can listen to. You can actually get DVDs that actually show you illustrations of people uh, play acting and how to handle, uh, resolve high risk um, communication. Very, very good resource. And then the other resource I want to give to you is the Ministry of Reconciliation. The Ministry of Reconciliation, and I believe this one was written by James Rafferty. Ministry of Reconciliation by James Rafferty. And you can get this at the ABC or you can go on to, to their ministry and, um, and get it as well. And light, it's Light Bearers Ministry. You can get that online. And I'll even rattle off to those of you who have a pen, their phone number, which is 541-988-3333. It's pretty easy. So anyway, those are the resources that I'm going to use today on communication. So let's start out with a beautiful quote that actually is found in this book. Um, Satan says to his evil angels, and this was a beautiful thing that Ellen White penned when she was talking about this topic. We must cause distraction and division. This is what Satan is saying. We must destroy their anxiety for their own souls and lead them to criticize to judge and to accuse and condemn one another and to cherish selfishness and enmity. For these sins, God banished us from his presence and all who follow our example will meet a similar fate. And you know, I can imagine, and I have a beautiful picture. It would have been really fun to put in here. And it shows the devil standing between God's big judgment throne and me, you, and he's accusing, and he's pointing at me, and he's pointing at you, and he's accusing us of all of our failures, our sins, our shortcomings. And Jesus is standing beside you and I with his arm around us, and he's interceding to the Father with his hand lifted up. And my greatest desire by faith, I believe it will happen, as I walk with Jesus every day, is when my name comes up in the judgment, that Jesus Christ will stand. Because that's my only hope. I don't have anything to boast about. I've committed more sins than I've ever committed good things. So that weight is pretty much a no-brainer, right? But if Jesus stands up for me, I'm in. Amen? Hallelujah. So really and truly, we have to imagine, though, Satan standing there saying, you cast me out of heaven. You cast all these angels out of heaven for that. There is no way you can let Tammy Milligan in the kingdom. She's committed the same grievous sins of my nature um, rather than yours. And so 
This is really important for us to know. What are the things that banished the evil angels from heaven? They were criticizing, judging, and condemning, and cherishing selfishness and enmity. So I think about that. So in our church families, because we really are like a family, just imagine that the demons are always looking for ways to cause all kinds of stress and strife between us. And if you go and you live your life on guard with that in mind, it will be so helpful because it's so easy to think ill of one another. And we're going to go over that. We're going to do that. And you know what? I have, I have, it's much more enjoyable for me to see your faults than my own. So if he can distract me, right? In the book Steps to Christ, it says there are four things that Satan is most successful at getting us off track. You know, it talks about your own faults. Is that not one he gets us all off track? Yes, we become discouraged as we look at ourselves. The faults of others. That gets us off track. Really, we get really discouraged in looking at other people. I thought they were such a great Christian. They even led me to the Lord. And look at what they're doing, right? Getting off track. The cares of this life. In other words, you come home and your hot water heater is spewing water all over your basement. You know, challenges, trials, things like that. And there's one more and I don't remember. Look it up. But anyway, those are the three that really spoke to my heart. But I think about this one, criticizing others. So I'd like to teach you some tools that we actually teach um, in our administration in the hospital. And you know what? These tools are just, they are tools you'll find in the Bible. Sometimes the people of the world are more educated on things than the people in, of God's kingdom. We don't want to do that. So I'm going to teach you some really wonderful tools that you'd have to pay money to go and get. But let's talk about EQ versus IQ. We're going to talk about that today. It's very important that you understand yourself, how you think, in order for you to be prepared to handle conflict. We're going to talk about accountability. What does accountability look like? We live in a very unaccountable society where everything's somebody else's fault. And then gender-specific communication. Did you know that men can get away with being more direct and giving some hard statements than women? Why is that? So let's find out how and also find out some ways to mitigate that breach, that, div, div, that um, difference. And then respectful relationships. Those are the things that we're going to cover today. So IQ is actually means in, uh, intelligence quotient. And it's an assessment of human intelligence. And so Webster's Dictionary says this, it's a measurement of a person's intelligence as as indicated by an intelligence test, the ratio of a person's mental age to their chronological age. So that's what Webster's Dictionary tells. Have any of you ever taken an IQ test? Okay, some of you have. It's very fascinating. It's very interesting. So we kind of know what IQ is. What is EQ? EQ actually means emotional quotient. So I want to give you a quote that I read out of a book, and this is really true. IQ will get you a degree in college and land you a job, but EQ will get you that raise, that bonus, and that climb up the ladder. EQ is what makes the difference between what you know and how you can actually put it into practice. So we're going to talk a bit about EQ. EQ is a measurement of a person's um, adequacy in such areas as self-awareness, empathy, and dealing sensitively with other people, okay? Very important um, tool here. The other one is the skill in handling one's own emotions. So emotional quotient has to do with how self-aware am I? Have you ever met someone who they are just like a bulldozer and they don't even know it? They don't understand why they don't have so many friends. They have no idea. They have no um, self-awareness. They have no real perception of how they come across. Have you met people like that? Of course, it's not any of us. But the point is, that's kind of scary, isn't it? And people tiptoe around them. They say, that's just how Tammy Milligan is. You know what? Have you met those people at work? You just have to overlook them. They don't even know they're that way. Okay, that's a lack of emotional emotional quotient when it comes to intelligence or self-awareness. So emotional intelligence, just to kind of uh, uh, narrow it down, is managing my emotions, understanding emotions, facilitating thought. So every thought that comes into your brain, how do you facilitate that? What do you do with every thought? Do you act on every thought that comes through your mind? No, 
Hope not, right? What do you do when the thoughts come? And then perceiving emotions, perceiving your emotions. When we're having a conversation, I can kind of read your face and I can tell what I'm saying is deflating you or I can tell what I'm saying is resonating with you or I can tell that you're just not sure about what I'm saying. Those kinds of things are skills that we can learn. So managing emotions, understanding emotions, facilitating thought and perceiving emotions, those emotions of other people. So continuing on EQ, EQ is perceiving emotions, the ability to detect and decipher emotions in faces, pictures, voices, and cultural artifacts, including the ability to identify one's own emotions. How important is that? So I have a really bad day at work where I have lots of grievances coming in um, on my desk from the hospital and I'm managing those really high emotions, people upset. And I come home and I'm highly charged with a lot of negativity. I walk through the door and Patrick has put his coat once again over the back of the couch when the closet is right there. And I immediately I say to him, he's standing in the kitchen, some of you have heard me use this illustration, and I say to him, why can't you hang up your coat? And he looks shocked. Almost like I slapped him. I mean, I just walked through the door. He's looking forward to greeting me and that's the kind of greeting he gets. And quickly I look at his face and I realize what I've done. Now this is a good example of the ability to identify my own emotions a little late, wouldn't you say? <laughs> so I realize I've just come from a stressful situation as sort of like the dog that got kicked so he bit the cat type thing. And so I say to him, before he says a word, can we start over? And he says, I would like that. So I go back out the door. This happened. I closed it. I took a deep breath and came back in and said, hi, honey, I'm home. And he said, good, I think. <laughs> right? Okay. But then we had a better evening than if he would have lashed out at me or said, what? And then I would have come back and then before you know it. So it's the ability to perceive our own emotions. And then the next step is vitally important too. Using emotions, the ability to think and problem solve, that's what I did positively in that illustration, right? The emotionally intelligent person can capitalize fully upon his or her changing moods in order to best fit the task at hand. So it's being able to triage those emotions. For those of you who are in medicine, you know, triage, how do you put those in order? What is the most important thing you need to focus on? What emotions do you need to kick out? You know, one of my favorite prayers lately is Holy Spirit, please come and take complete control. Now I used to, I've got to tell you as a younger person, I didn't like the word control. I didn't want anyone controlling me, even God. I'm just being honest with you. I rankled under that thought that I would have to be controlled. I'm over that. I'm like, Holy Spirit, <laughs> please keep, come and take control of my thoughts, which affect my feelings which affect my emotions. So thoughts, feelings, emotions, motives, attitudes, and impulses. And I have just rattled those off. It's sort of like my little, uh, you know, <laughs> beads of prayer. <laughs> I was gonna say something else. But it's sort of like my mantra every day because I know that if the Holy Spirit is influencing those things, I've got it. I've got EQ, right? Because <laughs> when the Holy Spirit is in control of those emotions and feelings and those impulses, we can do this, we can do this. EQ continued, understanding emotions, the ability to comprehend emotional language and to appreciate complicated relationships among emotions. There are complicated relationships among our emotions. Is it not true that you can be having the worst day ever and then you think of something you and your husband or you and your friend are gonna do after work and all of a sudden you're happy? Isn't that amazing? A lot of people say, oh, you can't control your emotions. Oh, yes, you can. Try this, having a good scrap with your husband and the doorbell rings and you open the door. Hi, how are you? How did we do that? <laughs> you know, so seriously, being able to, to those complicated emotions and thoughts that come through our mind that kind of make us go like this emotionally, we can, we can definitely mitigate that through the Holy Spirit's power and learning how to triage those emotions and those thoughts. Kick out the ones that are bad and negative and invite the ones that are positive and um, helpful. 
Here's another one, managing emotions, the ability to regulate emotions in both ourselves and others. Therefore, the emotionally intelligent person can harness, harness emotions, even negative ones, and manage them to achieve intended goals. Some of you have heard me um, use the illustration of my father brought home a little blue jay that was wounded when he fell a tree. And so he brought home this little blue jay and its wing was uh, damaged and so he stretched it out with a popsicle stick and he taped it all up and here it was for a while, you know, till it healed. And it did heal and it, and it flew away one day. But I recall my mother during a worship um, putting that little blue jay on her finger because he was quite tame by then. You put your finger in front of his little feet and he'd just hop right on your finger. And she brought him here in front of her face so he was looking at her. And she said, you beautiful little blue jay. She said in the most scathing and scolding voice. And that little blue jay just ruffled up his feathers and went chirp, 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 chirp. <laughs> he did. He mimicked her. And then she said, watch this. Why, you ugly little sweet thing, you. And chirp, he just, his little feathers went down. He tipped his little head. I'm serious. In other words, our tone of voice, our face can totally defy us. You know, right now I'm taking care of an elderly woman who's 85 and she has multiple sclerosis and she reads my face. I can come in and if she sees I'm stressed or worried, she's automatically not in the best mood. But I come in in the morning, regardless of what's going on and what stress she may have going on in her life, and she will just light up. It's amazing. Same with children, babies. Babies can sense their mama's emotions, right? It's kind of scary. It's a lot of responsibility, don't you think? But anyway, the ability to manage our emotions. Now, notice it doesn't say stuff them. You know, we're not talking here about just grin and bear it or get over it. But being able to triage those emotions, surrender them, kick them out, whatever the case may be. And I don't know about you, but I know the battle is for the mind. My mind is a battleground all the time whether it's about what I'm going to think about, what I'm going to dwell on, what I'm going to focus on, um, whether I'm going to let negative emotions come in, all of those things all the time, and I have decisions to make. When I'm really tired is when I make the worst choices, yeah. when I'm really tired or when I'm really stressed. So that's when we have to be on guard the most. Okay, moving right along, personal awareness. When we face conflict, we can choose to, number one, avoid and internalize it. How many of you are avoiders of conflict? Usually about 50% of us or so are. We don't like it, it's not fun, so we avoid it. Okay, until we blow up maybe. All right, and then how many, and then you don't have to raise your hand. Some of us, number two, we handle it poorly. You know, we address it, but we do it in a manner that really and truly reaps very negative consequences. Um, and then number three is we handle it well. Sometimes things go very well. It's like, pinch me, that went great. Okay, and then number five, uh, one, two, three, four. Ironically, and this is a fact, the higher the risk, the less likely we are to handle it well. Isn't that sad? I don't know if we're so stressed out and we realize this is a hot topic with our spouse or a hot topic with our child and we just tend to, it's almost like, okay, let's just jump in with both feet and get it over with. And so we end up not handling it well at all. So we're going to learn how to, how to have some tools that will help us. And I don't know what happened there, but I think we skipped way ahead or back. Okay, here we go. Here's a beautiful quote from the book Evangelism, page 173. While the truth must be defended, this work is to be done in the spirit of Jesus. Oh, man. You know, that's a challenging thing. Defending something and doing it in the spirit of Jesus. If God's people work without peace and love, they work at a great what? A great loss. An irretrievable loss. Souls are driven from Christ even after they have been connected with his work. Have you seen that in our Sabbath schools and our churches? New babies in the Lord or maybe a person new into an area of responsibility. They become offended because somebody gets on their case. or Somebody criticizes something they do or challenges what they do or tells them what they're doing wrong. And it's so easy for them to become offended and to lose their way. You know, and that's a terrible thing. I shudder to think about 
the fact that I'm pro I've probably discouraged people at times in my ministry and in my life. And I'm so sad about that. And it's interesting how as we grow in grace, the Holy Spirit will bring to us names of people that have been hurt by us. And when I was younger, I was like, well, but I said the right thing. That was the truth. Hang up my banner. But if we've hurt someone, do we have an obligation to go to them and make things right? I love that scripture. If you go to the altar and you recall that you have <coughs> offended someone else, know that they have even offended you, go to them. So God puts that onus on us. If you know that somebody's offended at you, leave your offering and go and make things right. So I have lots of experience of this at work. People tell me about what Nurse Ratchet did to them or what Dr. X said and offended them. 80% of my grievances are about attitude. Isn't that amazing? Not about quality of care, not about an error that was made, but about attitude, the attitude of the practitioner. And so um, when people call me and they're very upset and I go to Dr. X and he says, that is not the way it happened. I say, well, I'll just go back there and set them straight. Do you think that's gonna work? <laughs> Do you think you can change someone's opinion of what happened? No. no, their perception is truth in their mind, whether it's that way or not. That's the way they felt it. That's the way they saw it. That's the way they experienced it. The best, the best uh, success that I have is having Dr. X or Nurse Ratchet go to them and say, I am so sorry that I offended you. Will you forgive me? Not, I did that for your own good, or you heard that wrong. It wasn't my fault, it was yours. No, it's, I'm sorry I offended you. Taking accountability for that. Can we do that? Some years ago, I offended a woman, and in my estimation, I had every right to do so. She had highly offended me and my family, and I decided that I, it was best if we were not friends. And I told her very calmly, and I felt very good about the conversation when I hung up. But that didn't go well with her. And for years, she was very hurt by me. And when I came in contact with her again, I asked her if she would forgive me for hurting her. Because even though I felt justified in my actions, I knew that I had caused her much pain. And she was able, by God's grace, to forgive me. You know what I hear in that story? I hear a God that says, it's not about who's right. It's about how can we not make peace at any cost. How can we nurture each other's feelings and emotions the best that we can? There's so much pain in the world. I don't want to add to it. How about you? So this is beautiful. We do not want to suffer anyone to suffer irretrievable loss because of our poor uh, management of, 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 the way we of the way we handle even truth. Amen? So let's talk about kingdom communication. The best thing is to ask yourself a question when you're getting ready to have one of those conversations with a Sabbath school person in your Sabbath school class or someone in ministry or someone in your family or home or workplace. What do I want to achieve in this discussion? Well, you know, I don't know about you, but sometimes I just want to be right. So I want to win. Isn't that fair to say? Sometimes in an argument, I just want to win. But then I have to stop and think, Tammy, what is it you really want? Okay, you want to win, but what do you really want? You know what I really want? I want us to be close. I want us to have a good working relationship. I want us to be able to meet each other in the hall and smile and have good feelings with, between one another. I want us to be able to take part in communion together. I want us to be able to work side by side in the church and get along, you know? And so what do I want? And then what do I really want? Very important. And then the second question is, how should my behaviors reflect what I want? How are my behaviors gonna reflect what I want? If I come to you, we need to talk this out. How are my behaviors? <laughs> Starting out pretty rough, isn't it? But if I approach you humbly in meekness, God talks a lot about meekness and sit down and say, you know what? I want us to be okay. I know your heart is to do God's work and to make a difference, and that's what I want too. Can we talk together? If we approach each other in a spirit of meekness, I just believe that we can achieve a lot. And even if we go away from a situation like that and still the person is at odds with you, 
you can leave in just a, good, a kind and gentle, loving manner so that it'll give that person some safety to be able to evaluate their own behaviors, right? Because it's not my job to be your Holy Spirit and point out what's wrong with you. I'd like to sometimes. I tell you, especially with my children, I remember saying, Lord, I did not give you permission to give them the power of choice yet. <laughs> you know, and then I remember when our daughter was 19 and the Lord said to me, she actually took my hands one day. It was so precious. She took both of my hands in hers and she said, Mama, wisdom's words will always live in my soul, but you don't need to keep telling them to me. <laughs> and she said it so sweetly. And I cried and she cried and the Holy Spirit said, so long as you're you know, masquerading as me in her soul, I can't work. And I had to back out. It's the best thing I ever did. We're so close, and now the Holy Spirit can work. So what do I want to achieve, and what are my behaviors looking like so that I can achieve that? All right, so one of the things we have to do in order to have respectful relationships is evaluate the voices in our head, okay? So I'm going to talk about voices. What are the voices telling me? So I'm going to give you an illustration. I'm at Meyer on a Friday afternoon. I'm rushing to get my salad ingredients down the aisle. And um, when somebody from church sees me, uh, or and I see them, and I say, hi. And they don't even look at me. They just walk right on by as if they didn't see me. Wonder if they didn't. No, I didn't wonder if they didn't. I thought, how rude, right? <laughs> and then I think to myself, well, when's the last time I talked to them? Well, that was two Sabbaths ago. Well, I know what it is. She's upset about that conversation we had. Well, I can't believe it. And then when I see her at church the next day and she's like, hi, Tammy, I'm like, oh, yes. <laughs> hi. Right? Do you see how you can tell yourself a story? You can tell yourself a big, fat story when the truth is she never saw me in the first place. Right? So that's why I say to yourself, you have to evaluate your voices. What are the voices telling you? What is it that I want you to know? In other words, what is it in our friendship I want you to know versus what I'm thinking about you? And then managing our own prejudice. Anybody here prejudice? Raise your hand. You better all get your hands up. We are all prejudice. We are all prejudice. I'm not talking about red and yellow, black and white even. I am talking about we're prejudiced against... Sometimes you meet someone, you just don't like them the first time you see them. Have you ever had that happen? And you think, why don't I like that? I've had this happen because they reminded me of someone. They reminded me of someone else in my past who maybe wasn't a nice person, right? So we have all kinds of things that prejudice our minds. And, and the, the safest way to handle prejudice is just to realize you have it. Once you realize what your prejudices are, you can deal with them when they pop up. But we are all prejudiced in some way. I'll give you another kind of a lame example, but it sets, it shows the illustration. When we were first married, I loved to mop my floors on my hands and knees, and I always used pine saw. I like that smell. It smells clean. My husband would come home and say, oh, Tammy, I hate that smell. Don't use pine saw. Use anything else. And I think, how silly. Honey, it's no big deal. And I think, I'll use it when he won't be home for a while. And I'd use it. He'd come home. Oh, Tammy, I told you, don't use, I don't like that smell. Can't you use something else? Why? I like pine salt. It gets my floors clean. What's your problem, right? So a few months go by and he comes home again, pine salt. Tammy, I say, Patrick, what is it you don't like about pine salt? This makes no sense to me. 99.8% all the germs are gone. I want to know why you don't like pine salt. He thought for a minute and he said, I know why I don't like it. I said, why? He said, when I was a tiny little boy, probably three, this always makes me cry, actually. My mother used to drop me off at a daycare and they were very mean to me. I can't remember what they did to me, but that place smelled like pine salt. And every time I smell it, it takes me back to a very sad, dark place. Do you think I ever used pine salt again? Well, it's the same way in our relationships with each other. I don't know why some of the things I do or say might trigger a bad response in you, but if I get to know you, I'm, my heart is going to be touched and I'm going to want to do whatever I can to make your experience beautiful. Amen? Okay. So, fact or fiction. This is, this is talking about voices again. Choose not to fill in the blanks. 
because you said hi to Tammy Milligan in the grocery store and she took one look at you or she didn't, you thought she looked right at you, right? And she didn't say hello, do not start filling in the blanks. Oh, she's upset because at VBS, I didn't agree with her craft suggestion. Or she's upset because I didn't, I wanted to have the vegan option and she's mad because I took away her cheese. I don't know, but my point is don't fill in the blanks. Number two. Remember the odds. So I have a question for you. This is all scientifically based. How many times out of 10 do a husband and wife who've been married 20 years know what the other one is thinking? How many times, zero to 10, does a wife or a husband know what the other one is thinking when they're having conversations? They th yeah, think you know, but no, ac actually are accurate. You've been married 20 years? Okay. It's a lot sometimes, she says. So let's have some guesses. Three, okay? Anybody? Five, five out of ten. Five out of ten? One. Seven out of ten. Very good. Well, the facts are three at the most five, but usually it's around three or four that we know for sure. So if that's the case with people who live together, sleep together, eat together, how much more can we be wrong about assuming things about others, right? So remember the odds, the odds of assuming you know, and for those of you who know what assume means, the assuming you know when you don't, okay? The other thing is, what would you want the other person to think if you, they were in your, this situation? Because you know more than likely we're gonna all be on the other side at some point. So what would I want my friend or my enemy or whoever it is, what I would, what kind of courtesy or what kind of um, giving you the whatever of the doubt, what's the word? Benefit. The benefit of the doubt, what I want in that situation, okay? Number four is be curious. Ask yourself a question. Is it possible Tammy really didn't see me in the grocery store? She might have had something on her mind. Have you ever looked right at someone but you're somewhere else, okay? Maybe she didn't hear me, okay? Those kinds of things. So be curious. Be curious about what are some other options. And then number one, two, three, four, five, courage to ask questions. Hey, Tammy, I was in Meijer yesterday getting some salad ingredients and I saw you and said hi. Really? I didn't even see you. Really? I thought you looked right at me. I'm so sorry I could have. I just, maybe I just was so fixated on what I needed to do, I did not see you. I apologize. You know what I mean? Oftentimes what I find is that most of the time my assumptions are incorrect, or at least a lot of it is incorrect. Very, very important. So have the courage to ask questions. I had a friend who was always sure that maybe she had done something to offend me. Have you ever had people like that? And as the pastor's wife, you know, sometimes I, I, my secretary, I'll come in the door, she'll say, what's wrong? I'll say, what? I, I, I thought I had my face in order. No, I can always tell. Tammy, you're just happy all the time, but when you're not, I can tell your face. I'm like, oh my goodness, you can't even, you know. So sometimes I come into church and this one friend, half the time she'd say, are you, are you, did I do something to offend you? Are you mad at me? I'd say, no, what happened? Well, you just didn't, you know, greet me. Oh, I'm so sorry. You know, I had so much on my mind I had to do this morning. Only the Lord knows how much we do, right? In the morning, getting ready for church. So anyway, so and I said to her, I tell you what, Robin, I said, I promise you, you know me, I'm pretty direct. If you and I have a problem, you'll be the first to know. She looked frightened. I said, no, 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 I, I'm not mean. I'll just sit down and say, Robin, can we talk, right? Okay, so very important, be curious, have the courage to ask questions. So she quit asking me after that because I promised her I'd track her down, okay. All right, here, this is where we tell ourselves tall tales. If you find that you are speculating and filling in information that's based on anything other than what you've heard, directly from who? Person. That person, stop. Realize that you don't truly know the answer to the question you're asking and make it a point of asking it the next time you meet with the person. The results will be far different than the tale you've made up in your head. Amen. Isn't that true? Yeah. Very, very important quote. It's in the book by Robert Osborne, Don't Tell the Story Before You've Heard It. <laughs> okay, a very, very good quote there. All right, the five-minute rule. For those of you who've heard my husband and I do marriage enrichment seminars, the main thing is whenever there's a conflict that's heating up, it's really great if you can stop and say, hey, can we stop for a minute and do the five-minute rule? The five-minute rule is, number one, I'm not going to interrupt you. I'm not going to non-verbally disrespect you. 
by sighing loudly and rolling my eyes, okay? Um, no rebuttal. In other words, I'm not going to be planning what I'm going to say to you as soon as you get done talking. And also, I'm going to choose to listen to understand. Those, that's the five-minute rule. It's a wonderful way to have a, a conversation with someone when the stakes are high, when conflict is really tough, and when, it, when you're having a tough conversation. No interrupting, no nonverbal respect, no rebuttal. It's called the five-minute rule because that person for five minutes uninterrupted gets to state how they feel in these kinds of languages. When you came through the door, I really felt like you were frustrated because of X, Y, Z. And this is what happened, okay? Those kinds of things. So I'll give you an example. I come home, we are expecting a ton of company on Sabbath. My husband has agreed that he's gonna do this list of chores, I'm gonna do these. But I'm only getting home about an hour before sundown. So I'm gonna to have to make hay while the sun shines because my husband loves to sit down at least 15 minutes to 20 minutes before Sabbath, which I think is lovely, but I'm thinking about all I have to do. I walk in the door and guess what? He hasn't touched a thing and there he is. Right. I wonder how that'll go across on the recording. Anyway, so, um, so I open my mouth to start, and my husband says, wait, let's do the five-minute rule. I say, okay, you go first. And he says, I actually started on my chores. I got called to the ER. Got home, got called to the ER. Before I left the parking lot, got called by the third church member at the ER, and I just landed in the house. I said, you're kidding me. He said, no. And I said, okay. He said, I still think we can get this done. Did you want to say anything? I said, no, I'm good. Let's go. <laughs> so, so sometimes that five-minute rule will, say, will save you from a lot, of, uh, a lot of assumptions, okay? All right, here's a quote. Character is the only treasure we take to heaven. That's the only thing that we really take to heaven is our characters. Mental ability and genius are not character. So many times we size people up in our churches. We think, oh, they're so talented. Oh, they're quite wealthy and oh, they're quite educated. Oh, they're quite influential. We'll put them in these high positions. But it goes on to say, for these are often possessed by those who have the very opposite of a good character. Reputation is not character. True character is a quality of the soul, revealing itself in how? In the conduct. The strongest person is he or she who, while sensitive to abuse, yet will restrain passion and forgive his or her enemies. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. I am not humanly capable without the Holy Spirit controlling Tammy's thoughts, emotions, attitudes, mental, <laughs> all of that, right? So that is Maranatha, page 223. The strongest person is he or she who, while sensitive to abuse, will yet restrain passion and forgive his or her enemies. And that is a God thing, isn't it? It truly is a God thing. All right. So gender-safe communication. I promised you one of the things we would talk about is why is it that men can get away with having some very intense conversations and stating things very uh, directly more than women? And this is actually research that was done in the um, corporate world. Why is it that male uh, CEOs and presidents of corporations can actually deliver very strong messages to the company and get away with them just fine. But women who do it, they're accused of many things, all right? And you can only imagine what some of those might be. So we're going to talk about this a little bit. There's cultural stereotypes, right? Women are seen as the nurturers. I think they are still. I think our stereotyping is changing drastically. Um, but there's cultural stereotypes within our different cultures. There's also Forcefully speaking violates those cultural norms. We see women as the nurturers, the protectors, the um, kind, soft touch, those kinds of things. Okay, so when a woman speaks very forcefully, she can be um, labeled, okay? The other one is angry and out of control versus having a bad day. So the boss, the male boss can say, you know, barking orders and they'll say, oh, it's just Bill, he's having a hard day, right? But Janice does it, and it's like, okay, she's just out of control, must be menopause, PMS, right? No, I'm being serious. These are some of the things, or they're just acting this way or that way. So how is it that as women, we can be heard in a board meeting or in perhaps a male-dominant uh, arena 
of communication in a way that will set us up to be able to have those straight, strong conversations without appearing as if we're not sound. Does this make sense to you? And it's a very interesting thing. Emotionally, emotional inequality is real and unfair, and it is. It truly is real in our corporate world, but I think also in our churches as well. So let's look at this, managing stereotyping. Skills for being forceful, assertive, and honest. And the answer is framing. I don't really like the, the word forceful, but sometimes you do have to make a very direct decision that you know not everyone's gonna like when you're a leader. And those aren't always easy conversations to have. Okay, and these are, are um, actually proven. Very, very careful research was done, double-blind studies, where groups of people were brought in. Men and women were to go into the room and deliver the exact same message with the exact same face, with the exact same tone, or, you know, in other words, voice not higher or lower. I mean, they did very, very careful. These people practiced, and then they evaluated the results. So I found it very fascinating. Okay, so this is how you can do this. If I need to make an appeal to the board, and I know that it's a very hot topic, but I feel very strongly about what I need to stay, share, and I've prayed about it. This is a godly thing that I want to do. I can start out by this. I'm going to express my, my opinion very directly. Just that little preface helps your audience to prepare themselves. Suddenly they're like, okay, she's gonna speak very directly and she's kind of given us that preface. Here's the other one. I see this as a matter of integrity, so it's important for me to be very clear. Do you see? Those are very lovely, the way that these are framed, but if you frame your strong, um, your strong message in these ways, people are set up to hear you and hear the spirit in which you want to communicate. Here's another one. I know that I'm taking a risk. How's that for being transparent? I know that I'm taking a risk here, but I'm going to express my opinion very directly. You know, just having those conversations really sets you up to have some credibility. So making sure that if you are um, in, a, in a situation where you are communicating in that kind of a manner, just remember to preface it with an explanation before you have your communication. Let me show you the research. So they did 4,517 participants, and we're looking here at a scale showing social backlash and emotional inequality. So what again, they took men and women, actors and actresses, they had them practice so that their tone of voice, their mannerisms, their facial expressions, eye contact, everything had to be the same. They have them deliver the exact same messages. And you can say, see that their male counterparts about seven, eight percent, seven percent saw mild forcefulness, but when it was a woman, it was about um, 16 to 17 percent forcefulness. Look at the moderate forcefulness, 15 percent for women, uh, men came in at, women came in at around 18. Strong forcefulness, a very strong message, men were seen as about as 18, women were seen as 30. Isn't that amazing? So the stronger the message, the more objectionable it was coming from a female versus a male. To me, ladies and gentlemen, I'm actually just trying to set us up to communicate very important messages in a way that is palatable for your audience. And it helps us to be more successful. And I think probably Ellen would have a lot to say about this because she had to deal with a lot of different. Yeah. So look at this, the same conversations, same direct messages, only using the framing statements. I would like to be clear. I'm taking a risk, but I'd like to be direct. This is a matter of conscience. I'd like to share with you openly. Those kinds of things. Look at how close they were together. Okay, isn't that amazing? So inoculating the frame made an, an incredible difference. Okay, framing. I'm going to express my opinion very directly. I'll be as specific as possible. That lets people know she's gonna be direct and specific. I see this as a matter of honesty and integrity. It's so important for me to be clear about where I stand. And see the intensity in her face? There's humility in that woman's face. She's very intent on what she's saying, and yet the way her stance is in such a way that it's very humble and submissive, and yet she can be strong. So being, being educated about how we 
deliver messages with different audiences I think is very important when it comes to conflict resolution or being able to communicate. All right, and sometimes it's really great to role play, you know, with your spouse or with a friend. All right, the other part of the EQ we talked about is awareness. Remember that? Awareness of my own emotions, awareness of the emotions of those whom I'm communicating with. Unwanted repercussions from assertive communication is reduced when the speaker takes a few moments to explain his or her positive purpose before stating the content. So recently at our hospital, we had to make some cuts. And our CEO, our president, is a woman. And she said, by the way, I sent her this research article I'm sharing with you. She, was she loved it. She said, Tammy, will you send that to me again? I lost it, and I want to share it with some of my comrades. So she got up and she said, what I'm about to tell you is difficult for me. And I, I'm so sad that we have to do this. But I need you to be clear that this is not at all what we want to do. But we are going to have to... Instead of cutting FTEs, we're going to, going to not replace those who quit for different reasons. And I know this will be painful for some of us because we already are wearing many hats. But let's have a conversation about how we can adjust our workloads and make this work. Do you see? So we saw her as compassionate. She could have said, by the way, we're not rehiring. All the positions stand and we're going to have to figure out how to do it, make it work. We would have left the building feeling very differently. So framing those conversations, those tough situations, very, very important. Okay, so what time do we, is it 4.30 that we end? 4.45, okay, we have some time. Measurable behaviors, expectations, looks like agreement, commitment, measurement, and follow-up communication. So let me talk about each one of these. So when I have a conversation that's very direct, so I'm going to give an example. Let's pretend that we have a Sabbath school leader who's always late. And the children are showing up to Sabbath school and there's no teacher in the division. In fact, their assistant is always late too. So we have a problem. Now, this is the thing that my husband always says, sweetheart, the challenge is that all of the church officials are volunteer positions. So I can't write them up. <laughs> we can't uh, evaluate, right? It's very challenging because they can just say, okay, I quit, right? <laughs> and so how do we have these conversations and not offend people, keep them in their positions, and yet at the same time motivate or inspire them to want to be there early? So we come to the Sabbath school person, the Sabbath school superintendent. You're the Sabbath school superintendent. You come to Tammy Milligan. You say, Tammy, you have such an important class. You have just these lovely children in your class and we're finding a challenge I'm not sure what's going on but for some reason it seems like the last few Sabbaths you've been late and um, is there something going on that I need to know about that I could help you with now I've had people at work I've had to say to them you know what Julie you're always late uh, and we can't have that so I'm gonna have to this is a crucial conversation but if it happens again, I'll write you up. So Julie's late again. I write her up. And then she's late again. I'm like, she really doesn't want her job. But what if I had this conversation? Julie, I notice you're having a hard time making it to work on time. Can I ask you what's going on that makes it hard for you to come in? Yes, Tammy, my child care center actually changed their hours. I'm supposed to be here at 8, and that's when they open. So I dash. I'm there waiting. I dash them in the minute the door opens. They're not always opening the door on time. It takes me three minutes to get here. And we have a three to five minute leeway, but she's getting here at 10 or 15 after. I said, oh, Julie, I'm so glad we had this conversation. It doesn't bother me at all if we start at 8.30. Would that be okay? You would work a half an hour later, but you could come in a half an hour later. Oh, Tammy, that would be great. Do you see what a different conversation that is? So it's the same way with our Sabbath school person. Um, Tammy, I, I noticed that it's, it's challenging for you to be here right on time. Is something going on or was it just a fluke? Well, actually, no, I just tend to run late, but I'll work on that. Sometimes people say that. Other times they say, honestly, it's just I have a hard time getting out of bed. And, well, you are a great teacher. and We don't want to lose you in that division at all. What are some ideas you have so that we can have someone here for the children and it can be meaningful until you arrive? I mean, seriously, 
we can have a collaborative conversation with people and hopefully come to a conclusion. And of course, you'd be all prayed up and then whatever happens, you can know God will be there. So, but setting expectations. By having that uh, com conversation with Tammy, I've set an expectation that I'm really counting on her being there and ready to have a program at 9.30, right? And so then when we're talking about brainstorming about how we can make that happen, maybe she can come up with some ideas for people she knows that could come early and she could tell them the story that they're doing that's continued each week and they could start out with that story, those kinds of things. All right, looks like. Sometimes it's really good to say it seems like or it looks like this is happening. So you're not saying this is obviously happening. You're lazy and you're rolling in here late, right? But it, it seems like that you're late a lot or it looks like you're having a hard time getting here and I was wondering if there's something I could do to help. So instead of accusing the person or labeling behavior, tell, telling what it looks like. Because it's sort of like when I was the director of, a, of an inpatient unit, it was very hard to say, okay, I'm not giving them a raise because of their bad attitude. Well, that doesn't work, you have to measure it. They frown all the time, they're short and blunt, they're irritable. This is the kinds of things they say when they come in in the morning. We'd have to say their behaviors. So it's the same way, your behaviors. This is what it seems like. I notice you get here usually at about 20 till 10 or a quarter till 10, those kinds of things. Agreement. Do you agree that the best thing is for us to have something going on at 9.30 when the kids arrive? I'm finding they're going into some of the other classes and that junior early teen uh, leader feels like that their program isn't really meant for primary kids. So do we agree that we need to do something? So have an agreement um, is very, and then how about a commitment? If Tammy just says, truth is, I just have a hard time getting out of bed Sabbath morning because it feels so good to sleep in and I don't have to punch a time clock on Sabbath morning, you know? So it's the, the, the commitment, but you know what? I'm gonna work on that. So you're committed to try to be here at 9.30. I appreciate that, Tammy, so much. And if you find that doesn't happen, maybe we can get together and have another plan, you know? But then there's that sort of that commitment that you've made with the person. And then measurement, keeping track. Hey, Tammy, I just noticed um, the last couple weeks you, uh, you were running late. I know you committed to be here at 9.30. How about another plan? Is there something else we could do? You know, because we've had that commitment. So we're gonna go back and measure that. It's very important not to set a standard that we don't keep up with. And then follow up and communication. Tammy, I wanna thank you so much. The kids are so happy in your class. And the parents have mentioned to me how much they appreciate the kids' class being open when they get here at 9.30. So I just wanna thank you. I think it encourages our young people to show up on time. That's a great example. I just wanna thank you for what a great leader you are. Very important, don't you think? We don't always take the time to appreciate one another, but we need to, we need to. Some of you have heard me say, about 10 years ago I attended a funeral where everybody got up and went on and on about this poor lady in our church who had died and she was one of these behind the scenes persons who never got up on a stage or tooted her own horn like some people I know. Anyway, and so she was just this very humble little worker, but here she lay dead and everybody was standing in the audience taking turns saying how awesome she was, just ticked me right off. I left the funeral thinking, you know, that poor woman didn't know half the things that those people said. I bet you nobody told her that. And then the Holy Spirit tapped me on the shoulder and said, did you? <laughs> I thought, no, I didn't either. So I made a commitment with the Lord's help that when I appreciate something about someone, I tell them. And I do, I do. I've told some of you about my Meyer story, came around the corner with my car and almost broadsided this poor woman. <laughs> but I, she was, I was shocked that I almost ran into her, but also I noticed right away how pretty she was and I just blurted out, you are so beautiful, God must have really had fun making you. And she just looked at me shocked. And then I realized that wasn't so good. So I said to her, I'm very happily married and I don't want anything. And then she laughed <laughs> and I said, no, seriously, I don't know about your voices in your head, but the voices in my head don't always tell me how pretty I look. And I want you to know you really are a very beautiful person. She said, I said, this is the part where you're supposed to say thank you. So she said, thank you. And then my face was red and I was ready to leave. And I turned around and she said, excuse me. And I turned back around and she said, 
you will never know how much I needed that today. So what if we do hold all these things in our hearts and we don't tell people? Have we done them a disservice? So many times we think of people being talented who can get up front and present things like seminars. But I will tell you that when God brings our, our um, crowns, some of you he will bring them in a wheelbarrow and you will be shocked. And it will be because you took the time to say the simple words of encouragement and you never know what soul is labored with untold burdens and your word of comfort will make all the difference. You see numerous stories on Facebook of people whose lives are spared by someone taking the time to reach out to them or say a kind word. That is a talent, sisters, a talent that we can all use. So make sure that your communication, your follow-up with people, that if you've had a crucial conversation with a spouse, a child, uh, someone at church, someone at work, that you follow up and tell them the things you appreciate or where you see. Don't do it right then. That sometimes undoes everything you're done. <laughs> I've learned that too. But when you follow up and you see that people are making effort to improve, be sure that you appreciate them verbally. Very, very, very powerful. Then the other thing is modeling. Don't ever think for a minute that the best thing we can do is our own influence. Never underestimate the power of influence. We are told that we all have a sphere of influence that surrounds our soul. One of joy, peace, and love. One of frenetic, busy, frantic, worried, scurrying around. That's me a lot of the time. And the, or one of bitterness and sin and ugliness and darkness. Those are the three descriptions we're told, I think, in Thoughts from the Mount of Blessings. Anyway, I want to have the influence around my soul of the positive. So we are told that there will be souls in the kingdom that we will say, well, I don't think I did anything. Just our sphere of influence the Holy Spirit can use in a powerful way to draw people to Jesus. Amen? So if I'm spending time with Jesus every morning, I'm going to have that sphere of influence around my soul that will give off this. So our influence is our power of influence. The other thing is walk that talk. Don't preach it and, and then don't leave, uh, live it. What I find is the things that annoy me most sometimes are the things I struggle with. Have you ever found that? That's what annoys me in other people. Or about the time I really judge you and I pin you down and I'm just like, oh, that's just frustrating or disgusting. A week later, I do it. <laughs> the Holy Spirit's like, <clears throat> <laughs> and I love the Holy Spirit because he only points out my flaws so that I can surrender them to him, not to rub my nose in it. I love that. But I want to walk the talk. I want to be the example of what I want others to do. And then facilitate discussion. Don't be afraid to have a discussion with someone who you don't see eye to eye. I know we have a difference of opinion on this. Can you explain this to me? Sometimes when I'm sure somebody has had behavior that I think is so objectionable at work, I'll often say to them, you know, the other day I overheard you saying this and this. Can you explain to me what you meant? It's often much different than the picture I had when I went away. So stay curious. Don't pigeonhole people. Stay curious about really where they were coming from, what they meant, what their background is, what is it that made them react or act this way, and facilitate discussion. As long as we can talk to one another, it will make all the difference in the world. The other one is invite feedback. That can be scary, but I did that. Um, I learned to do that as a manager when I had lots of direct reports. I had about 75 direct reports, and when I would do their evaluation, I'd say, now it's time to turn the tables. How can I be a better manager? What are some things I've done this last year that have been helpful for you? What have been some things that you felt I could have improved on and how? And I got some of the best feedback. Most people say, oh, now you're great. Probably because they avoided conflict, right? No, just kidding. But then I'd have some people who said, you know, Tammy, seems like if a couple of us are having a problem in this area, you send an email to everyone. That's really disheartening because it makes me feel like you think this about me, even though that's not my, my work ethic. So could you just communicate with the people who have the issue? Note to self, I will, you know? So I learned some really valuable things from my employees. So I think it's great if we invite feedback. Is there something, Tammy, I can do to make it easier for you to be here at 930? You know, can I open your door for you? May I put out, you know, some craft or 
those kinds of things. Or maybe you don't want to do all that, and that's okay too. It's <laughs> just trying to build on our example. Tools for our backpack. So when we leave here, I hope that you'll be more self-aware. Take the time to be aware of your own feelings, maybe your own face, your own tone of voice, so that you can definitely learn from that. Make sure that you're respectful, not only to your own time, so maybe you don't want to offer the craft because you're already busy doing other things, but in the way that I interact with those who may frustrate me, is my tone of voice, my face, my demeanor, my body language, is it respectful? The words that I use. Stay curious. Ask questions before you make a judgment. Stay curious. I just can't uh, emphasize that enough. Also, be transparent. You know, Tammy, what I really want is for us to have a dynamic Sabbath school classes for our children. I want our kids to love coming to church. How can I support you in making sure we're ready for them at 930? So transparency, expectations and commitments. Can I expect this of you then? Are, are, can I, can I um, know for sure that you're going to really make this a commitment to be here at 930? That is great. And I'm committed that if you're running late, give me a call and I'll help you out. Those kinds of things. Teach back communication. One of the things we find with our patients is we explain to them what the plan is when they go home. And many times they don't remember that. So what I say to my patients is, you know, Mrs. Milligan, I pride myself on being a very good communicator. And then I chuckle. But I find out I'm not always. So what did I just tell you to do? And then the patient will say, you said I needed to do this, 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 and this. Exactly. Only one thing I didn't tell you right. And then I can elaborate. Do you see? Rather than, okay, Mrs. Milligan, I know you're probably an idiot, so tell me what I just said, right? <laughs> we, we can be offensive. But if I do it that way to my patients, hey, you know what? I think I'm a good communicator, but you tell me if I was. What are the four things you need to do when you go home? Then I'm making sure, and as that person repeats those back to me, they're going to remember them better, right? So we can do the same thing in our communication. You and I have a meeting. We have an issue we've worked through. Then I say, so, so what are we going to go from here? What have we talked about that's going to be helpful? I'm going to do this and you're going to do what? And just make sure that we kind of review what we've talked about and the decisions that we've made. Those are the tools that we can use in measuring. Um, and then at the end, measuring is just to make sure have we followed through in what we said. Did Tammy do her part? Did the other person, are they following through with theirs? And making sure in a month or so we get back together. Hey, I just want to thank you. We're doing great. Or, you know, this isn't working. Can we do something else? Those kinds of things. Because if we just do this one thing and we never follow through, things will fall through the cracks. So very important to measure our success. Beautiful quote. Friends, we who claim to be Christians, to be following the Lamb whithersoever he goes, are to strive against the devices of Satan, to call to mind, to dwell upon, and cherish the wrong and unjust acts of others, will not help the case at all. Those who are ready to speak and think evil of their brethren are hurting Christ in the person of his saints. They grieve the heart of Christ and place their own souls in jeopardy. Listen, for most of my life, I've just thought I was special. And Jesus probably loved me just a titch more than he loved you. <laughs> but God has shown me that he adores your soul every bit as much as mine. And that has helped me when I come to talk with you about something that might be hurtful or challenging to make sure that I come to you in a very humble manner because the way I relate to you is the way Jesus is seeing me relate to him. Amen? Very, very important. In this beautiful book um, on page 31, Ministry of Reconciliation, it goes on to say here that we are to put therefore on as the elect of God, holy and beloved bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind. That means to see you better than me. It's for me to see you better than myself. Meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And as I was taking a walk uh, not too long ago and struggling with forgiving an individual, struggling, struggling, struggling. Finally, I cried out to God. I said, Lord, give me the forgiveness for this person that you have given me. And I was set free. So I believe that when we come to the end of our resources, 
to deal with a brother or sister, we can say, Lord, do give me that which you have for me. And he will. Hallelujah. So always celebrate success. I think it's really, really great when we make sure that we commend one another, we appreciate one another, and we just come together and say, thank you so much that we could have this talk. I feel so much closer to you. I'm glad that we can have these conversations. I'm glad we're okay and our friendship has weathered this stressful time. I know you and I are on that way to heaven. Let's lock arms and let's go to the kingdom together. Those kinds of things are very important messages. Questions? Oh, that I just quoted? Let's, let's, let's back up one. That's This Day with God, page 298. Oh, the one in my hand. The quote that I just quoted in my hand is from The Ministry of Reconciliation by James Rafferty, and it's on page 31. So we have a few minutes for question and answers. Anybody or, or you know, comments, questions about something maybe I didn't cover in this class that you were hoping that we would talk about? Anyone? Okay. Well, thank you so much. Have a blessed day and listen with prayer. Father in heaven, I thank you that we are truly brothers and sisters on our way to the promised land. We're on our way to the kingdom. Sometimes it's surreal. It's hard to even imagine, but it's true. Our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Our names are engraved on the palms of your precious wounded hands. And Lord, you promised in Philippians 1.6 that you will finish the work you began in each of our hearts and our lives. I thank you that you're the one completing it because I don't see how. But I know that you are Lord and Savior, the majesty of heaven. Lord, forgive us where we've wounded people. Forgive us when we haven't communicated in ways that were respectful and kind and compassionate. We just pray that you give us hearts that will love souls the way you love souls. That you will help us to love each other the way you intended for us. And that you would bring beautiful unity into our church families, into our homes, because that's where it starts, into all of our relationships. And we thank you, Lord, for your promises and power through the Holy Spirit to do these things. In your spirit, we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.